So now we're told Trump colluded with Australia. You know, they couldn't get Russia. Ukraine, uh, not looking so good. So let's head down under, mate. Trump pressured the Australian leader to investigate Mueller. Oh, now it's Australia. What a farce. The New York Times comes out with this shameful piece, and then Drudge picked it up and ran with a narrative. But at the end of the day, all this is is an effort to portray Trump as this caricature who goes around, hey, look, buddy, I need you to do a personal favor and take care of this guy for me. And that's simply not the case. The Mueller hoax was an international scandal, and this is an international investigation. And so Trump should be working with other countries to get to the bottom of it. So this story that we're talking about comes from two people with knowledge of the situation. You know, you, they love the people with knowledge. Just because you have knowledge doesn't mean jack. Okay, our sponsor today is NetSuite. So say you start a business. Chances are you've got to rely on all of these different systems. You've got one system for accounting. You've got one for HR. You've got one for inventory, one for sales, and it's one big mess. And it takes up too much of your time and too many resources, which hurts your bottom line. It's the last thing you need when you're trying to grow a business. NetSuite by Oracle is the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, you save money, you save unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting orders and HR instantly right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash WHB. That's netsuite.com slash WHB to download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits, netsuite.com slash WHB. All right, so the New York Times headline reads, quote, Trump pressed Australian leader to help Barr investigate Mueller inquiry's origins. And the media, is, of course, they're flipping out because they want to make it appear as though Donald Trump is using the power of the presidency to advance his personal status. Trump pressed the leader of Australia to help his attorney general, William Barr, gather information to discredit the Mueller probe. CNN is reporting that Trump pressed Australia's prime minister during a recent phone call to help attorney general Barr investigate the origins uh, of the Russia probe. Do you see a pattern in the way the president has used our foreign partners? Yes, I do. And this is part of a pattern with the Trump administration, which is to subordinate all interests of the United States government to subordinate the, the national interest to the self-interest of Donald Trump. No, no. This is neither about discrediting Mueller or asking for personal favors. This is about getting to the bottom of the origins of the Russia hoax, the biggest political scandal in U.S. history. And there were a lot of foreign actors in this hoax, including Australia. So this is about figuring out how a massive hoax that was intended to remove a duly elected president from office and undermine our republic was initiated. Of course it's in a U.S. interest. Of course it's in our interest to get the help of other countries. So this is directly from the DOJ. A Department of Justice team led by attorney John Durham is separately exploring the extent to which a number of countries played a role in the counterintelligence investigation directed at the Trump campaign during the 2016 election. Now remember, remember, the Russia hoax has its origins in Australia. It's said to have started when Alexander Downer, this guy, this guy on the left, 
the former Australian ambassador to London, who was, by the way, tied to the Clintons, met with this guy on the right, George Papadopoulos, in the UK. And Downer claimed that Papadopoulos told him that he had damaging info about Hillary Clinton, which was being held by the Russians. And so Downer says he went to the FBI with that information. Now, George Papadopoulos disputes this and says Downer was spying on him. And there may even be a recording of this conversation. So I don't know. It's likely that A.G. Barr would like to look into what happened during that downer George Papadopoulos meeting since it is one of the key events that kicked off this whole scandal. That's what this is about, not discrediting the probe. Why would Trump want to discredit a probe that proved him innocent? Jordan Schachtel points out on Twitter, quote, POTUS asked Australians to assist A.G. Barr in the investigation into the origins of the Russia hoax. They are an ally, and this is an international investigation. It has nothing to do with Mueller as a person. It's focused on a hoax that launched the Mueller probe. And as Martha McCallum pointed out in Fox, A.G. Barr is overseeing an investigation into the origins of the 2016 Russia probe. Common knowledge, the Australian ambassador to London is involved. Does not seem unusual that this investigation would be discussed. The Mueller probe does not need to be discredited. The Mueller probe did that to itself. The Mueller report discredited the Mueller probe. What this is about is protecting our interests here in the U.S. by investigating an international scandal, an international scandal committed by Hillary Clinton, committed by Barack Obama, committed by the Democrats in order to undermine our republic. Trump is my president. Trump is your president. There's nothing you can do about it. Absolutely nothing. Because this impeachment inquiry, it's not going to be successful. You have to actually have impeachable offenses. And given that Republicans control the Senate, the only legal way to remove Trump from office is by electing a Democrat in 2020. And given the prospect of these candidates, we all know that ain't going to happen. Guys, the Antifa losers are back. You know, I'm really getting sick of these guys. You know, these guys always pick the person that's least able to defend themselves to attack. And this time they went after a little old, this poor little old lady who not only, she could not only not defend herself, she could barely hold herself up. She was on a walker, watch. Well, we're happy to report that that woman is okay. Her son says that she complained about not being able to hear uh, as well out of that ear that they were shouting in. But I want to know, what were they even doing there? Why were they shouting in her ear? Well, we found out it's because Antifa showed up to the, uh, the scene because over the weekend, podcast host Dave Rubin, he hosted a discussion at a small college in Hamilton, Ontario, with the founder of the People's Party of Canada, which I know sounds like a communist party, but the People's Party of Canada actually leans right. And so anything, anytime someone or anything that is associated with the right shows up, of course, Antifa has to show up and protest. So of course they did it in their typical way. They go after the weakest, frailest, oldest, and most vulnerable people, and they do it in a violent, aggressive, and angry way. Host of Pseudo Intellectual on Blaze TV, Lauren Chen, she was also at the event hosted by Dave Rubin. She joins me now. Lauren, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. So tell me a little bit more about these protests. I, I mean, I kind of want to know why you, who was like, what, 100 pounds soaking wet, went to this <laughs> event with all of these angry, crazed protesters. 
Sure. Well, this this event was actually planned months in advance. Um, the controversy surrounding it only really started uh, about a week or even maybe just a few days beforehand, though. Um, so what the event exactly was, was it was a panel discussion with Dave Rubin, who, of course, you know, YouTuber, interviewer, supposed leader of the alt-right, according to, I think it was the New York Times, and Maxim Bernier, who, like you said, is part of the People's Party of Canada. Um, I know, like, it does sound kind of socialist or communist, but the People's Party of Canada, it's actually Canada's only legitimately right-leaning, libertarian, conservative-esque party. Uh, all of the other parties in Canada are, are totally left-wing, and the, the reason why it's called the People's Party of Canada is because it's our populist, nationalist party. So, of course, Antifa can't have that. And uh, the protesters beforehand uh, actually tried very hard to get the event shut down to the point where, right before it happened, the college actually raised the security costs uh, on the organizers tenfold over, which Dave Rubin very generously paid because I think he's about had it with these people. Um, but yeah, the event itself was framed uh, as a discussion about free speech, uh, personal liberty, Canadian values. It ended up being a, a little bit about identity politics as well. But it was, I mean, I, I, drew, I drove five and a half hours to get there. And I remember being in the car with the other people that were with me. And because it is, I mean, it's Dave Rubin and Maxime Bernier is about, a, he, he's a mainstream political figure. He's not controversial at all. So we were actually even wondering, are there even going to be any protesters out there that bother to show up for what is arguably a pretty milk toast event. So when we got there and we saw those people waiting and the, ch the chanting, I frankly was surprised because I never imagined in a million years that this would be the type of thing that's considered controversial. So you say that Max and Brene, the People's Party of Canada, is the only actual right alternative in Canada. It's the only conservative party. He left about a year ago, though, at, at least nominally, a party called the Conservative Party. So is that party not actually conservative? That party is only conservative in the, I guess, general context of left-wing Canadian right. politics, right? I mean, Canada leans a lot more left than the U.S. Of course, people know that. We have socialized medicine. So, I mean, and... If, if you're kind of comparing them to the Liberal Party, which is full on like open borders, we're going to carbon tax and all that, then yeah, I guess they're more conservative than them. But I mean, essentially, the Conservative Party in Canada is very in line with the Democratic Party that you have in the U.S. in a lot of ways. So uh, the name is a bit of a misnomer. And the reason why Maxime Bernier eventually left the Conservative Party is because he's against uh, the, the big dairy cartel we have here, which is supply management, right? He's for free markets, which apparently the Conservative Party in Canada does not stand for. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of frustrating because for a lot of Canadians, the PPC is the first time they've actually felt represented politically. It's like, ah, finally, my choice isn't between varying degrees of left-wing party. And it's been met with a lot of controversy by these left-wing extremists. So this is an exciting party, it seems, for conservative Canadians. And it seems like you were excited. And that's why you went to the event. You, as you said, you drove five hours to get there. Uh, we actually have footage of you there, which I want to play. Um, just want to kind of give context for this clip. I think what happened here is that someone may have been wearing a MAGA hat, and I think you confirmed afterwards that they were. And so this, so they went in, the Antifa people, they went in on this person with a red hat. Let's watch. What? So, I mean, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that you are in some ways risking your life to capture this and to attend these events and to let your political voice be heard in these situations. Why? 
I mean, why, why is it so controversial? I, I really can't say, but I think, you know, when, when afterwards, when I was talking to the attendees, there are so many people in Canada right now who feel it's it, in a lot of ways feels very similar leading up to the 2016 election in the States. They feel like somehow their mainstream political views have been made out to be controversial, marginalized by these left-wing extremists who somehow almost have control of like the media, all the major institutions. So I think for a lot of people, even going through that protest crowd was worth it just to say, hey, I, I'm not an extremist. There's nothing wrong with my political views. I live in a country that has freedom of speech, so I'll, I'll be danged if these punk extremists are going to prevent me from peaceably assembling at a, by the way, a, a paid event. This was a paid private event. It's not like, you know, they were marching down the street talking about how great the PPC was. No, this was a closed event. And, you know, even before I decided to kind of film this document after the controversy, I was still planning on going to the event because I support Dave Rubin. I, I like Maxime Bernier. So I think a lot of Canadians are just tired of it. Um, I personally, at least, I'm a little bit surprised to see Antifa apparently be so active in a in a Canadian city like Hamilton because this, this might sound a little bit... I don't mean it to be disrespectful to fellow Canadians, but Canadians have always struck me as more apathetic about politics than Americans. I feel like, you know, in the U.S., you got to protest every other weekend, which is great. Passionate people. Canada, all in all, it's not like that. So seeing this kind of thing happen in, in Canadian streets, it's it's shocking. Were they from Hamilton? Because Hamilton's a relatively small town, is it not? And yet it is. And you have these people, you know, 100 people for a small town like Hamilton. That's not insignificant. No, it's not. And actually, when we did see that there are a lot of protesters around, my first thought was perhaps they've driven in from Toronto. Toronto is a nearby city, and it's, I think, one of the, if not the biggest city in Canada. And definitely, I know that there's Antifa there. But after talking to the organizers a little bit more and people who are from the Hamilton area, actually, no. Hamilton itself, which is not a large city, I think it has 500,000, not, not small either, but they actually have their own uh Antifa groups, and this is not the first, I guess, protest or something that they've they've had in the area. And even leading up to the event, we we saw flyers uh, trying to protest, saying that Maxine Bernays hates speech, Dave Rubin's a Nazi, all that kind of thing. So, I mean, as hard as it is to believe, almost no, this relatively small city actually has its own homegrown Antifa members who were just really pumped and desperate to be there and voice their opposition to, I don't know, like a this gay speech. Jewish YouTuber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hard, it's hard to believe because, you know, Antifa, they keep on saying, oh, we're not, you know, an organized event. We're just a bunch of individuals and a bunch of disparate groups who come together and, you know, and, and come to these rallies. It seems like you have to be pretty organized to put together something like this with flyers and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? Uh, on Facebook, they're, they were advertising this protest. Uh, they were telling people, all right, we're going to plan to be there between, I think, 5.30 and 7.30 or something like that. They had actually planned an entire counter event um, that didn't end up happening because of, I think, logistics with the university booking venue, but they are having an entire counter of it. I think it is a, uh, not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. So the idea that, oh, no, it's not an actual organization, that's that's completely not true. I mean, these protesters don't just magically by themselves happen and appear at this event without any kind of foreplanning. Yeah, I, th I think that's uh, patently apparent. want to ask you about something completely unrelated, because you guys have this clown of a prime minister who is just 
every time we turn around, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And he gave that press conference where he was like, I apologize for being in blackface. Uh, I can't promise that it's not going to happen again. And then like a couple days later, there's literally a video of him. Like this guy just loves, loves to be in blackface. And, you know, I've said this. I don't think anyone is actually offended by it. It's just the fact that you have this guy who pretends to be holier than thou and we have to be woke and we have to be accepting and we have to be tolerant. And meanwhile, he's engaging in behavior that no one I know would ever even dream of, <laughs> of doing. So like I said, it's not offensive, but I mean the hypocrisy with this guy. Is Canada on board with this guy? Is this guy popular in Canada or do they see him as much of a joke as we do? You know, it's really hard to tell here. There is something called the CBC, which is this government funded news channel. I use that term very, very loosely. And they're kind of the people who do a lot of the polling and reporting leading up to the election. And of course, they are 100% on board the, the Trudeau train. I mean, he's promising to give them more money compared to the People's Party, which is on their platform. They actually want to defund entirely this uh, the government-funded network because their reporting is just completely unfair and unbalanced. And actually, we saw recently, instead of attacking Justin Trudeau for his black face and his brown face, which would at least be in line with their political stances previously, the, the CBC has actually gone after the person who exposed the clips of Justin Trudeau in, I, I think, the blackface. And now they're asking, like, what were his or his motivations doing this? They're trying to drop all this dirt on the person who exposed this. And it's like, is this fair and balanced reporting? Because I really don't think it is. So it's really hard to say how Canadians feel about it, because not only is the polling super biased, but also the, the main... I guess, institution where people are getting all of their news from is right in the pocket of the government. I mean, it's essentially, I mean, it, it's no better than like Pravda or something like that here. So thank, thank goodness for, you know, independent reporters who talk about this stuff. I will say anecdotally, a lot of the Canadians I know, even the ones who are liberals who are leftists, are tired of all the clan shows. We're tired of any time Canada's in the news being because our, our prime minister is in blackface. Uh, our prime minister said people kind of. Uh, our prime minister was doing a funny dance in India. Like, it doesn't <laughs> feel good as a country. Yeah, I mean, I got to admit, you know, at least from our perspective, your prime minister is a laughing, uh, laughing stock. And that's, that can't feel good as, as the people of Canada. Lauren Chen, thank you and God bless you for everything you're doing up there. Thank you for standing up for liberty in Canada. <laughs> thank you, too, for everything you're doing, John. A reminder to everyone, I'd really appreciate it if you'd please rate, review, and subscribe to the White House Brief podcast. It will make sure the truth rises above all the other stuff out there. So please rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening.